I would invite you to take your copy of the scriptures or the one that's in the pew rack in front of you and turn to the passage that Greg read for us earlier in our worship uh, that uh, probably the most recognizable passages in the whole of scripture, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 or what some have called the love chapter. And I, I've discovered that even among uh, unbelievers, the words that uh, are contained in this 13th chapter of Paul's letter to, to the Corinthians, that, that these words have uh, been quoted by all sorts of writers and speakers and even filmmakers who wish to bring these truly immortal words into the service of their own particular agendas. And indeed, uh, probably most of us have attended a wedding ceremony uh, which included a reading of this particular passage of Scripture uh, simply because of its poetic simplicity and beauty. And indeed, there certainly is uh, some uh, lovely and universal aspect to these words of Paul. And the things that we read here in 1 Corinthians 13 about love are profound and are foundational and have uh, an appeal, I think, that goes well beyond even their immediate context here in the larger letter that Paul is writing to the believers at Corinth. But I think that sometimes these words are so familiar and so taken out of context that the meaning of them is a, a wee bit lost. Uh, the, the most natural thing, I think, is to to hear Paul's words here in 1 Corinthians 13 in the context of something like a wedding ceremony. But that was not the way that these words were first received. When this missive came from the Apostle Paul and was read in the local assembly of believers, it was a very different situation. When these words were first read to the church in Corinth, it is highly unlikely that an engaged couple listening to Paul's letter would have leaned over to one another and whispered to each other, oh, wouldn't it be nice to have that read at our wedding? I don't think that was the case. And because uh, we see 1 Corinthians 13 kind of lobbed down in the middle of chapters 11 and then followed by 12 and then on our way to chapter 14, and following, you realize that Paul's motivation and his intent here in these words in chapter 13, the purpose of these words was actually to serve as a mild rebuke of the Corinthian congregation, not as some definitive thesis about the beauty and glory of love. When the Corinthians would have first heard these words of Paul, they would have felt somewhat, I think, verbally spanked by the Apostle and his words. And well, they should have felt that way, because that indeed was Paul's intention, to verbally spank them. Now, as we've been continuing in this study, this is part 16 in this study of the first epistle of Paul to the Corinthians, this chapter, chapter 13, comes in the midst of the second main division of 1 Corinthians, which began back at chapter 17. And in chapters 11 through 14, Paul has been dealing with questions that have been posed to him 
from the believers, from the leadership of the church in Corinth, and saying, what in the world, dear friend, are we to do about these kinds of situations in the church? And he addresses, Paul addresses one issue after another. He talks about spiritual gifts. He talks about their use and abuse in corporate worship. He talks about their abuse of the gift of tongues and of prophecy. And, and he just continues to kind of lay out in a very systematic way, which Paul, almost like a good defense attorney will do, he just begins to lay out his case about some of the abuses that are going on within the context of Corinthian worship. Now, uh, already in our look at the gifts, we have seen that there are, as Paul says, a diversity of gifts. There are many gifts, all sorts of gifts. And Paul's uh, list here is not to be uh, considered to be an exhaustive list, only representative, I think, of, of, the, lit, of the gifts that God has put within the body of Christ. We've seen also, as we looked at these spiritual gifts, that these gifts are meant to edify. That is to say, they are meant to build up the body of Christ, to, to uh, be for using for the common good. That these gifts are not meant, hear me now, these gifts are not meant for the private advancement or benefit of the individual, but the gifts have been given by the Spirit of God for the welfare of the body and for its ministry in this world. We saw last week that each gift is valuable to the body of Christ, and each one is important and essential, essential to the good functioning of the body. And we've seen further last week that there is a relationship of interdependence between all the gifts, so that those who have the gifts of administration are dependent upon those who have the gifts of help, who are dependent upon those who have the gift of teaching, who are dependent upon those who have the gift of service, and on and on. Each gift is absolutely indispensable, and all of them exist in an interdependent relationship in which there is a creative and dynamic tension kind of gluing them all together. And if you don't have that, then Paul said last week, then the body of Christ is some freak thing, all one part, all an eye, all an ear, all a nose, with all the other gifts being neglected. Finally, we have seen in his discussion about gifts that while all the gifts are valuable, if we are to seek only any of the gifts above the others, we ought to seek those gifts that have a preference for building up the body over those which tend to have an, an, uh, a quality or a value to edify the individual. Again, the focus is on the body of Christ and not the individual. So, in short, what Paul is talking about here in chapters 12, 13, and 14, he's addressing what he considers to be a misuse and abuse of the spiritual gifts. And particularly, Paul is concerned that these gifts have been used in a way that have caused hurt and division and schism in the church. And Paul is saying, church, you need to wake up and you need to reform your ways in your thoughts and your practices concerning the spiritual gifts. And you need to stop using them in the way that you're currently using them because the church of Jesus Christ is being destroyed by your practices. 
And so he's uh, opened up his remarks on spiritual gifts. And now, at the end of chapter 12, he sums it up with a, a curious statement. And he says, and now I will show you the most excellent way. He's been talking about tongues and prophecy and, and, and all of these gifts. But now he says, and now I will show you the most excellent way. And he begins to kind of, it's almost a break in his thought, but really is related and speaks forcefully and eloquently about this quality of Christian love. The need for it, the nature of it, and the enduring character of love. And if you look closely at the construction of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, you will discover that there is inherent, you have to look for it, but there is a recognizable pattern here in 1 Corinthians 13, a series of conditional statements about particular gifts and practices that are then contrasted over and against this quality, uh, this virtue of love. And there are seven conditional statements in all. I've marked them out for you on the screen. So let me put them together for you so you can get the sense of this. Paul says, If I speak in the tongue of men and of angels, conditional. If I have prophetic powers, conditional number two. If I understand all mysteries, conditional number three. If I understand all knowledge, conditional four. If I have all faith, condition number five, so as to remove mountains. If I give away all I have, condition number six. If I deliver up my body to be burned, condition number seven. Now he's going to begin the contrast. If I have all of these things, but I don't have love, Paul says, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. I am nothing, and I gain nothing. And when you put all of those statements together like that, it's easy to see, I think, that Paul is trying to paint a fairly comprehensive picture of the sorts of things that, that uh, people were up to in the Corinthian church. And his point in chapter 13 is to communicate to his brothers and sisters in the church there that you can do everything and you can do anything, even seemingly great things, to move mountains by faith. But if you don't have this quality, this cardinal virtue of love, then in the end, do all these great things for God. But if you don't have love, Paul says, it means absolutely Nothing. Now, Paul speaks here uh, about these particular things, and, and, and I think that he does it with a specific purpose in mind. He has a, a, a very intended purpose and message that he wants to get across. And in mentioning these things, like the tongues of men and angels, prophetic powers, mysteries, knowledge, all the rest, Paul mentions these particular gifts. And let me say, Ben dealt with this, some time ago, I believe that all of the gifts are still operational and operative in the church today. There are some who would contend that some of the gifts were meant for only the apostolic period and that those gifts then ended their use at the end of the apostolic period and, and therefore are not in use today. 
I personally am not persuaded that way. I believe that all the gifts are still operational in the church age. But Paul is dealing with abuse here. And he, he mentions tongues, and he mentions the prophetic gifts, and special words of knowledge. He mentions those things because these are the places where the Corinthians had strayed the most, where they were abusing these gifts the most. And he's taking the very things that the Corinthians had been droning on and on about, the very things that they had misused and were now using as badges of honor to say that I'm better than you. One member of the body says to another member of the body, I'm better than you because I have this special gift of tongues. Or I'm better than you because I have a special word of knowledge. Or I'm better than you because I have the gift of prophecy. And Paul makes one point, a very intended point in mentioning these things and says, you're glorying in your particular gift, the gift of tongues or the gift of prophecy or, or this gift or that gift. You wear it as a badge of honor. But he, he highlights these things that some of the Corinthians are glorying in. And he says, But I want you to know that what you're doing is actually abusing these gifts and you're hurting the body of Christ to boot. And you must stop it because the church is being destroyed by your practices and your use and your abuse of these particular gifts. Now, it's important to understand, I think, that Paul's problem is not with the gifts themselves. His problem is with the way they are being abused. He doesn't have a problem with the gift of tongues. He doesn't have a problem with the gift of prophecy. He doesn't have a problem with, with these other extraordinary sign gifts. He recognizes that they are good gifts that come from the hand of the Father, empowered by the Holy Spirit. In fact, Paul practices these gifts himself as he will make very clear as we get to chapter 14. So Paul is not demoting these particular gifts, the gift of tongues and prophecy and such, but he's putting them, I think, in perspective and setting them within their proper context. And the context that Paul is drawing is that all of these gifts, whether it's the gift of prophecy or tongues or interpretation of tongues or words of knowledge, all of these gifts have to be within the circle of God's love, agape love. He's not trying to abolish tongues. He's just trying to reform their use in the church. To put it another way, it wasn't so much that the Corinthians had a gift problem, but in Paul's estimation, the Corinthians had a love problem. They were deficient in the area of love. And if you've been with us in this series, you should immediately recognize how true that statement is, that they had a love problem. Because if you were to go back to the beginning of this letter and just quickly flip through the opening chapters of this letter, you would find virtually in every chapter in, in this letter, there are numerous illustrations of the love problem that the Corinthians had with one another. We saw it in chapter 1 in the way that the Corinthians had created various 
personality cults. Oh, I'm of Apollos. I'm of Peter. I'm, I like Paul. And thereby they had created division within the body. They had a love problem. We saw it in, in their criticisms of Paul's preaching as being simplistic and weak and thought it was foolishness for Paul to preach the cross of Christ, that he spent so much time and attention there. They had a love problem. We saw it in, in their turning a blind eye to the sexual immorality that existed within their own church, and, and then, to make matters worse, to justify it on theological grounds. They had a love problem. We saw it in chapter 6, where they were dragging one another into court and suing one another. They had a love problem. We saw it in the way they conducted themselves in their marital relationships. They had a love problem. We saw it in chapter 8 in the way they insisted on their rights and their freedoms in the, the pagan temples at the expense of their brothers' and sisters' consciences. They had a love problem. They didn't care in, in love. They didn't care one hoot about their brother or sister in Christ. And I could go on and on, but I think you get the point. That all the way through this letter, Paul is pinpointing the Corinthian problem. He says you have a deficiency in the way that you love one another. And all through this letter, the Corinthians have been shown consistently and persistently that they might be a boasting about their giftedness and what a talented church this was. But Paul says, all that you're doing means absolutely nothing if you don't have love for one another. And in Paul's estimation then, I think that the fact that they are deficient in this area of love proves his point that though they are very gifted, they really don't understand spiritual things. And it undermines their every boast. I think it's important, uh, before we go any further, to understand what Paul is talking about here when he talks about love. He's not talking about love as one of the gifts, but instead I think that what Paul is talking about here is a a way or a manner of living. It is a mindset. It is a heart attitude. It is a practice which should be a part of every serious follower of Jesus Christ. Another thing to see is that when Paul is talking about love here, he's not merely talking about love as a feeling or emotion. Oh, I know that when we think about love, we get all kind of mushy and gushy inside, and we think about red roses and all the rest. Uh, Paul's not talking about a feeling or emotion. When Paul talks about love in 1 Corinthians 13, he's talking about an active thing. It's not, uh, it's not just a feeling. It's not just an emotion, but it is a choice of the will. It has action to it. It's demonstrated by what a person does, not so much by what a person feels. By what a person does and what a loving person does not do. And Paul makes the point that love is patient, love is kind, but love does not boast, love does not envy. So love is these things, but love is not these things. It has an action orientation to it. And I think that Paul's view of love is, is not his own invention, but he is calling to mind the love of God. A love that is defined by God the Father as shown in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And it's reminiscent 
of the love that we read about in Paul's letter to the Romans in Romans chapter 5, verses 6 and 8, where Paul says, You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man, someone might possibly dare to die. But God, what's the word Paul uses there? Demonstrates. Action. God demonstrates His own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. There's action there. God not only felt a feeling of love for you and me, but He did something about it. Aren't you glad that God loved you so much that He was prompted to act in the sending of His Son? And this is Paul's template for love. The love of God. The sacrificial love of God. Sending His own Son into this world to take upon Himself the sins of all people, to give up everything that He had, the glory and the riches of heaven, to give it all up, to empty Himself, to become obedient even to the point of death on the cross, and put Himself out for us. Friends, that's what true love does. It acts. It doesn't just feel. Yesterday, Kathy and I celebrated our 28th wedding anniversary. 28 years. We didn't go out for dinner. We didn't even buy each other gifts. You might think, what kind of a romantic are you, Crocker? We agree that God had blessed us so extraordinarily over the 28 years of our marriage, that gifts were superfluous and not necessary. And we just enjoyed a quiet dinner at home, loving each other and celebrating the love that we have shared. Now, 28 years have been filled with lots of joy and some sorrows. Kathy, if she were standing here speaking to you, she would say, And yeah, Rick has had all the joys, and I've had all the sorrows. (laughs) That's not quite true. But I will tell you what is true. That there have been some days in those 28 years when the feeling of love hasn't always been readily present. There have been times when Maybe Kathy and I were not seeing eye to eye and she was feeling a bit grumpy or irritable. I'll pay for that one. But when, because of our commitment to God and our commitment to one another, that we rose above the level of feeling. And we chose at the level of our will to love each other despite what we were feeling in our emotional being. And that's what Paul is saying here about the kind of love that should exist within the church. Get beyond your feelings. You know, I think one of the great dangers in the church today is that we spend an awful lot of time focusing on feeling and emotion. We like to be moved, we like to be hepped up, we like to be, you know, inspired.
inspired. But the Christian life I'm discovering is not just about feeling. Sometimes the Christian life is about gutting it out. Sometimes walking with Christ is hard. The way is narrow and the rough is bumpy and it's not smooth. And sometimes you just have to, at the level of your will, say, Boy, God, I don't feel like being a follower of yours today, but I'm committed to go all the way with you. And that's the way it is in our love for God. And so it should be in our love for one another. And Paul says that our love should be like God's love. It's a very active thing. More to the point, it is actions that the Corinthians were not experiencing in their relationships with one another. And Paul might have said a million things about what love is. But the words that he chooses here in 1 Corinthians 13 and the actions that he commends and the actions that he rebukes, all of those things are drawn from the situation of what's going on within the church at Corinth. And his description of love is very specific. What does Paul says say this love looks like? He says, first of all, this love is patient. It is patient. Even when people bug me and get under my skin and complain about me, even when I've done my very best, love is patient. God is teaching me about patience. You know how God teaches you about patience, don't, don't you? James tell us, tells us that it is the trial of our faith that works patience. So if you pray for patience, I can, can guarantee you of one thing. You will have many trials. But if we want to grow in this God-like quality of love, then we need to learn to be patient. Uh, this love is not only patient, but it is kind. It is genuinely kind. It genuinely wants the best for the other person. I'm not asking you to show you, raise your hand this morning, but I'm asking you to let the, the Spirit of God examine your heart. Do you always want the best for the other person? Or at times do you, do you allow your own interests and your own agenda to muddy the waters and get in the way? Paul says this love is not envious. It is not jealous. It doesn't want what somebody else has. But it's content with the blessings that God has poured out on them. This love is not boastful. It doesn't go around parading all of its accomplishments and titles and, and puts self above others as being the most important person in the universe. This love is not arrogant. doesn't elevate me and my concerns to the place of greater significance over your concerns. This love is not rude. Putting other people down or dehumanizing them by ignoring them. One of the things, I'm just going to move away from these qualities for a moment. One of the things that bothers me so much about our society today is our rudeness with one another. I find it even among merchants in our city how terribly rude service people are. It's almost like uh, they're doing you a favor by even recognizing you. But the way we talk about one another, we dehumanize one another, we mock one another, we put each other down with cuts and jabs, 
Love is not rude. I think about so many marriages that would be helped if, if just this one quality set all the others apart. If just this one quality were to be worked on in the next year, that love is not rude. Love is, is always thinking well of the other person. Paul says, not only this, this love does not insist on its own way. Don't these words feel a bit convicting to you? This love does not insist on its own way. How many of you treat others by saying it's my way or the highway? You're going to do it my... I've seen it, not here, thankfully, but I've seen it in churches, in church boards, among pastoral staffs, where, pardon me, where it it is said, you're going to do it my way. I've seen senior pastors who relate that way to their staff. The senior pastor is the big kahuna. He's the guy that calls the shots. You're going to do it his way. I am seeking with the Lord's help and the Spirit's empowerment not to be that way, not to insist on my own way, even though I might think my way is right, not to insist on it. This love is not irritable. This love doesn't get angry with clerks and waitresses who don't produce what I want when I want it. But this love is not irritable. It it takes a deep breath. And it waits. I think that this particular quality is especially important in family living. There's a lot of irritability in families today. This love is not resentful. It doesn't keep a record of wrongs. Oh, how many marriages would be reformed if, if we would get rid of the list that we have that gets dragged out every time we have a spat and we rehearse all the things that were wrong in the past to punish and to put down our partner while building ourselves up and making us feel better. This love does not rejoice in wrongdoing. Instead, it rejoices in the truth. It takes satisfaction in things that are true and noble and righteous. This love bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. This is a brand of love that will never end. But friends, that love cannot be produced through our own effort. It is a work of God in our soul whereby we die to self and Christ invigorates us by His Holy Spirit to live this life of love. And Paul says, you can have all kinds of extraordinary gifts. You can be an extraordinary teacher of God's Word. You can be a wonderful musician and lead people in worship. You can be an outstanding preacher and move great congregations. But if you don't have love, then everything is a wash. And it's all for naught. You can be a person that that stands up there and say, Hey, look at me. See how amazing my gifts are. And, and you, can, you can think that you're the, the top of the heap. But if you don't have love, then in God's book, you are nothing and you can do nothing. And the point that Paul is making here is simply this. That unless you learn, dear saint, to use your gifts 
in this circle of God's love and take on the identity of God Himself in Christ who demonstrated His love toward us when we were still sinners. Unless we start to to use our gifts in the context of this love, that all that we do here at First Alliance means nothing. If our homes are divided because there's not love, then your worship is empty. Paul said it is like a noising uh, uh, gong or clanging cymbal. Now, I know that most of us have this idea that, Paul, we kind of think about a junior high band and, and the kid back in the percussion section who's always playing the cymbals at the wrong time. That's the image that we get. The Corinthians wouldn't have thought of that when he says that if you don't have love, you're like a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Do you know what they would have thought about? They would have thought about the pagan temples. Because in the pagan temples, pagan worship was characterized by gongs and cymbals. And Paul says, if you don't have love, you can speak in 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 these extraordinary tongues and impress everybody with your spirituality. You can impress everybody with your word of knowledge. I have a word for you. But if you don't have love, Paul says, you're like those gongs and cymbals that are playing in the pagan temples. Your worship is no better than the pagan unbelievers if you don't have love. Convicting words. But those things that are done in a context of love, in the kind of love that comes from the Father, these things are not a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. But these things are instead the harmonious notes and the powerful chords in a symphony that finds its source in the very heart God. And it was Jesus in his teaching ministry who said, and they will know that you are Christ's disciples by what measure? By your love for one another. I really wonder, church, what kind of a message we are sending to the world around us. I see so many people who have been turned off to the church. In fact, I talked to someone just this week who said, I really had given up on church because of what I saw there, what I found there, backbiting and and politics and all the rest, and had given up on the church. But let's let's not think about some other church. Let's think about First Alliance Church for a moment. What's our love quotient like? Are you in love with those who are seated around you this morning? Are are you seeking their best and their welfare? Have you even reached out in love? Or or are you content with just slipping in your pew on a Sunday morning and slipping out and, and never even sharing the love of Christ with anyone else? You know what? First Alliance is a, is a very gifted church. We have gifted musicians. We have gifted leaders, gifted pastors, gifted elders. We have gifted teachers. We have gifted ministry folks. I look at the kinds of programs and ministries that First Alliance has, and I'm just astounded by the quality of our ministry. But our giftedness is for naught 
if we don't have love for one another. And that's what Paul is calling the church to. You, all of you, to be patient, kind, gentle, not rude, not insisting on your own way, not arrogant, not proud. And as you exercise your gifts, many parts, diverse and different, interdependent, working together to edify and build up the body of Christ, it all needs to be done in a spirit of love. And when that happens, it's like hitting the sweet spot on the golf club. You hear the crack of that ball and you know, we hit it. We did it. That's what we're working for, church. A loving community of God's people who are using their gifts given by the Holy Spirit, working together for the glory of God and for the advancement of His kingdom's work. Let's pray together. This morning I would take you back to the prayer of confession that we prayed earlier in our service. And I would ask you in these final moments of this service to ask yourself these questions based on 1 Corinthians 13. Is your love patient? Are you willing to endure people who try your soul? Is your love kind? Do you think and act kindly toward everyone? Or are there some people that you're demonstrating unkindness toward? Is your love manipulative? Do you use people? Because Paul says that God's love and our love for one another is not to be possessive. Do you always need to be the center of attention? Are you a proud, arrogant, boastful person? Are you considerate and thoughtful and warm? Because this love that binds our hearts together is to be courteous. Are you always insistent on your own needs and your agenda and your rights? If so, you have a love problem because God's love is not selfish. Are you forgiving or do you keep a record of wrongs? Are you harboring resentment in your heart? Because Scripture tells us that true love is not bitter or irritable. Do you put obedience to God first in your life? Do you truly love truth and righteousness or do you love a a good scandal? A good juicy bit of gossip? Cleanse our hearts, Lord, and cause the love of God, that eternal love, to be shed abroad in our hearts. We would ask today that nothing less than Calvary's love would ignite in each of our hearts, and that as we leave this room this morning, that you would fill us and flood us and overflow us with the love of God, eternal love. And that we, out of the overflow of that love in our life, we would share it with those even we walk down the aisle with this morning. As we shake their hand, that we would reach out 
with the love of Christ. Help us to that end. And now, Lord, dismiss us with your blessing and keep us in your care. We ask in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen.